bring it down a bit. I just want to say the deepest of thank yous to so many that have been praying for us. And um, I know there's many heartbreaking things in this world, news-wise, um, but we can be thankful for all of God's goodness to every one of us. And um, I just want to say the deepest of thank yous because Chris is here <laughs> for however long the Lord keeps him on earth. I know he's looking forward to heaven as well, but um, I'm so grateful and been so grateful for all your prayers. And um, it's uh, just so good to see you all here today. Thank you. Well, I'm going to start standing. <laughs> if I feel a bit weak, I'll just go and sit over there because the last week's been a, quite a testing time. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Chris Fry. I've been married to Katie for 43 years. We have two children, Hannah and Tim, who both have two children themselves. I've had a 50-year career in railway engineering. And I'm a member and elder of Calvary Church here. It's exactly one year since I stood here and told the church that I had stage four cancer. That is cancer which is, humanly speaking, incurable. My cancer is in the bowel and the liver and the lung. I think anniversaries are significant. They're annual reminders even more significant. The Bible has lots of annual reminders of important matters. So are there things worth sharing in this case? What are the things I was thinking about 12 months ago? I kept a journal at the very beginning, but only did so for 10 days. <laughs> so it's not a very good representation of the whole year. I think I'll try and recover the habit. However, there are certain issues that I can't forget because they have God's stamp upon them. The first is this. In God's hands. Katie and I are in God's hands. Psalm 31 verse 15 says, My times are in your hands. To be a Christian is to be personally in the hands of God. What a remarkable privilege that is. Every moment of every day, whether it feels like a good or a rubbish time, God who does all things perfectly and for our good has said that this is the case. And I have known the truth of that at the time and looking back now and in so many details in God's hands. Secondly, the power and fellowship of prayer. In the second letter of Paul to the Corinthian Christians, he speaks about hardships that he was facing. And this is what he says, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. What was the answer in this discouraging situation? He says, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. What was happening is that many people were praying for Paul 
and God was hearing their prayers. It was God who helped Paul, and as he tells people about this, the praying people are encouraged, they thank God, and God is glorified. And this is, I feel, just as it should be, and what has been happening over the last year within the uh, loving family of the church here at Calvary. Um, I thank you for your prayers. And I thank you that as God answers prayer, we give testimony to that. And as we give testimony to that, you can give thanks to God. And as you give thanks to God, then God is glorified. And so the circle carries on. Thirdly, pleasing God rather than getting better is what really counts. I have incurable cancer, and the best that chemotherapy can do is to try to uh, delay, hold the process of dying. Some Christians I know are praying for bodily healing for me. I fully believe that God can do this if that is what he wants. But I also believe that when I die, sooner or later, God will totally heal me of everything that needs healing. What matters now is to live to please him according to as many days as he has given me to live. I believe that God has given me particular opportunities in the last year that I've never had before. And as long as God wants me to enjoy and faithfully use these opportunities, I'll be given strength. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 33, verse 25 a promise is made, and your strength will equal your days. Isn't that a beautiful thought? As long as God wants us to have breath in our bodies, he will give us strength to do it. It's been frequently said that the Christian is immortal until God calls him home. Towards the latter end of this, of this year, I've been very struck by the importance of my being faithful to what God has given me to do. And I'm just to take it for granted. I want to be, I really want to be faithful in what God has called me to do. Fourthly, weakness is difficult, but it's often necessary. We'd all instinctively love to be strong. So when Paul in the Bible had what seems to have been a difficult and embarrassing weakness, he asked God three times to take it away. But God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And there was a reason behind this. If Paul had not had such weakness, he might rest in his own strength and become conceited because of some of the experiences he'd enjoyed. And I know the temptation of that. Paul had to learn to recognise that God doesn't want the capable who might ascribe any success to themselves, even quietly, but the needy, the dependent, so that it's clear that anything good that happens can only be ascribed to God. And this is humbling. I've known a lot of weakness in the last year, which I've never known before. 
I remember this morning, I, I dropped something on the floor and I looked at it. And I just said, I, I don't think I can pick that up. So it stayed on the floor. <laughs> Fifthly, open doors. Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message, says Paul. Pray that we may proclaim it clearly as I should. Speaking about Jesus Christ in a clear and unashamed way is not easy in a secular or multi-faith society. We live in a secular world in the West, and Paul lived in a multi-faith world. To have clear opportunities to speak for Jesus is not easy, but in answer to prayer, they come. And I've been privileged to have these open doors over the last 12 months. The key to these doors is cancer. If you have terminal cancer, you have the privilege of being able to talk with almost anyone, and they will listen. I may have had certain keys before January 2019, but nothing like what I've been kindly given subsequently. So thank you for your prayers. Six, boldness. Pray also for me, says Paul, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Ephesians 6.19. This is just the sort of prayer that the Christians of the early church were constantly praying, not just to have opportunity to speak, but to speak boldly, without inhibition. I haven't known that in my life before. God has given me help in this matter. And I think it's interesting that the early church, who were very equipped in so many good ways, were constantly asking God to give them boldness as they spoke. Seven, deep seriousness. I look back on these 12 months and I'm thankful and humbled to see God's hand upon my life. But I am also disappointed that I haven't loved and followed the Lord Jesus as I should. Time has been wasted. I wanted deeper seriousness in my life. To realise what the real priorities are. I was reading this book three days ago about revival in Scotland and um, I came across this rather interesting story which I'd like to just let you know about. It's 1773 and a minister called William Mackenzie has been ministering without much success in the very north of Scotland, near Thurso. One Sabbath day in 1773, a horse was bought and sold at the church door. I don't expect that to happen this morning. <laughs> Next Lord's Day, therefore, when the usual rush took place to get out after the sermon, <laughs> Mackenzie addressed his congregation 
in a voice of sombre authority and told all who had Gaelic, in other words, Scottish language, to resume their seats as he had something to say to them. All obeyed at once. They were for the moment awed and amid breathless silence he addressed them as follows. I came to this parish four years ago on your unanimous call and I had then the impression that I had God's call as well. But I fear being mistaken. I'm doing no good among you. The gospel is making no impression on you. What is worse, you are hardening under it. Instead of receiving it, you flee from it and leave God's house on his own day to buy and sell in the churchyard. I trust the Lord will remove me to some other place where I shall not be utterly useless as I am here. Woe is me that I sojourn in Masek, that I dwell in the Kents of Kedar. Mackenzie then burst into tears, sat down in the pulpit, and for the next five minutes wept and sobbed, his feelings too strong for utterance. When he at last rose again to preach, a new power was apparent. So deep was the impression made and so great the power of God in their midst that it was said that no fewer than 30 souls dated their conversion from that exhortation. That was the day when they began to take the things of God seriously rather than just muddling them up with other matters of life. And my dear friends, especially the friends of Calvary Church, I want to exhort you to take the things of Jesus Christ extremely seriously. May they have a a top place in your life. I fear for some of you. Because I see some of you who come, and come regularly, and hear the word of God. But I don't know that I see a life change in you. I don't know that I'm seeing Jesus Christ be born in you. How we need to examine our own hearts put ourselves in that place where we allow God to speak seriously to us we're not here to impress each other we're here to be very very close to the Lord Jesus Christ well Time is short. There was another anniversary that I wasn't focusing on. Sunday the 26th was one anniversary when I spoke to you, the church here. But on Friday the 17th, January, that was the day when I heard for the first time I had cancer. Friday the 17th this year was a bit of a strange day. I don't remember the first part of the day at all, actually. Katie was trying to wake me up, get me to the toilet, called an ambulance because I had a fever. And the one thing about having cancer is you've got to be very, very careful about temperature. So I was running a temperature as it turned out of 39 degrees. The dear and patient ambulance people 
stood like shadowy figures at the end of the bed and they asked me some very sensible questions. I couldn't articulate a single answer. <laughs> I was just in a complete muddle. Eventually they got me down by one of their, their clever sliver down the stairs chairs. Got me in one of the nice bumpy ambulances. That, that's the one thing that does keep you awake. <laughs> and straight into a &E. And lots and lots of tests and many things happening, most of which I can't remember. One thing Katie did see was at some point in the process, I kind of fainted. I kind of fell back in the bed, eyes open. Don't know what that meant, but they called the crash team on that Friday. They didn't do anything because I recovered out of that situation. But when I heard about this afterwards, I thought, whoa, isn't time short? I suppose in my naivety, my thinking about cancer had a kind of gradualness about it. I just get more and more ill and unwell. But the thought of sudden death, oh, it's very sobering, isn't it? And I wasn't aware of it. I wasn't aware of what was going on. So I've been in hospital last eight days and I so much wanted to be able to do two things I wanted to be able to speak to you this morning and I wanted to be able to speak to my son's friends we'd arranged to have a time together where I could talk to them which was last night and as it looked it was a little bit unclear that that could be possible at all because the infection because that's what was causing the temperature causing my arm to actually balloon up and uh, a very sort of vivid discoloration taking place, pumping me with antibiotics, trying to find the right antibiotics. I've had a great experience of the NHS. <laughs> I've never been in the hospital that long in the whole of my life. But what tremendous staff... What a tremendous thing it is. How much love and care being displayed. Time is short. But I look back on those days and I'm so thankful that many of the things that I've just been speaking about this morning uh, were actually coming to pass in that short period of time. So I was on a ward with six other, five other beds all people with cancer, all people struggling with some sort of um, uh, setback. Some of them with more major setbacks than I was facing at all. And, well, I can say God's hand was in the situation. I really appreciated the love and support of the church here and the way that's been conveyed and the sensitivity of that. I know the power and the fellowship of prayer. And I know that pleasing God rather than getting better is what really counts. And I felt desperately weak. <laughs> but I'm here today. And there are open doors. 
I had a really nice conversation with a retired policeman who was in the diagonally opposite bed. Here we are in a ward of six. Any conversation is not private. <laughs> and uh, I had such a nice conversation with him. I gave him a copy of the, um, of the talk I was going to give to, the, to my son's friends last night. We had a good conversation. And I think I was given boldness. And uh, as I say, the staff were lovely. There were two, two occasions that really surprised me. What One was when a Filipino said to me, why are you so nice? <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever said that to me. <laughs> why are you said so nice? So... The answer I gave was, I belong to Jesus. <laughs> Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's right, isn't it? I'm always puzzled with that one, how it works, how it works. But I saw that on several occasions during the, during the last week. And as the week went on, it's so amusing seeing the the head oncologist in this case with a bevy of junior doctors running behind, trying to keep up. <laughs> Anyhow, the numbers grew smaller. The hope was more positive. And uh, I think it was probably uh, Friday when she said, you can go home. You can go home on Saturday. So last night, we had a really special time. The sportsmen were with me, 25 of us. 90% of those with no church background at all. And I was able to talk to them about having a cancer diagnosis and why there can be hope in Jesus. I just think it's a remarkable thing that that was, that was possible to do that. No one had ever been to a talk like that. I asked him, have you ever been to such a talk about cancer? No, men don't. <laughs> but they were there. And uh, I had such positive feedback. Such positive feedback. I said to one or two of them, look, if this in your workplace situation, if this would be helpful, I'd be really happy to do this. What might God do? these situations I'm proud of this gospel it's the power of God to salvation there is no other Jesus is wonderful the Lord Jesus who came to earth became a man lived a perfect life dies on the cross for us he's risen from the dead and reigning at God's right hand now there's nothing like that. And we're privileged to be living and having received that truth in our lives. What a blessing. And on that theme of the time is short because it certainly felt short suddenly last week. Um, reminded of this passage in 1 Corinthians 7 where Paul is talking about relationships 
and having these things in the right place. And he says this, what I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as as if they had none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. That's true for all of us because we're all going to die one day. And uh, the question is, are we going to die with the confident expectation that when we meet the Lord Jesus after we die, uh, he will say, welcome. Or will he say, I never knew you. If you're on the wrong side of that question today, I just want to encourage you to get on the right side. your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who is your only saviour